Welcome back to the Hungry for Success podcast. I'm your host, Michael Phelps. On this episode of the show, I talked with Sean Donaldson, also known as the Morning Lifter. We talked about his weight loss journey where he transformed from a Division I offensive lineman to a more healthy weight. His incredible home gym, his brand, the Morning Lifter, and much, much more. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to check out Sean on Instagram for more. That's enough of me. Here's Sean. Sean, what's up, man? Michael, how are you? I'm doing good, man. Hi, uh, I'm very thankful to have you on the podcast today. Well, I'm glad that you reached out, man. I, I've been following you for a little while, and and you always seem to have uh, a lot, lot more important people than myself on there. So to <laughs> to to be on this is it's pretty neat. Awesome, man. Well, I, so I remember when I first started following you, I was uh, um, actually a guy that I had on. I think you did uh, kind of similar on your podcast with Tony, uh, had him on and and he had shared where he was on your show. And I was I started following you. And at that time, I was uh, kind of building a little bit of a home gym during COVID. And uh, I was like, man, this seems like the guy to ask about some gym equipment. I remember <laughs> I'd ask you about some power blocks and I was like, I think this guy knows the shit. So I'm going to ask him. <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, that conversation with Tony was really good, and he's uh, he's one hell of a guy. Uh, so th- that is uh, it's a nice commonality. But the uh, the home gym experience, man, it's I would have never thought my wildest dreams has turned into this. Uh, from what started off as just something, just so that I could continue to work out. You know, uh, that it was when my son was born. You know, I was still I was still waking up and training it. 435 o'clock in the morning, I was driving to the YMCA at the time. And then it was like, okay, because my wife, she works full time. And so figuring out how to juggle all of those things together, it became evident that, okay, well, if I was going to continue to train, which that was a, that was a non-negotiable for me, I had to find a way to train because it was, as you know, and as a lot of people that know as well, um, it's for a lot of people, it's an outlet. And for me, that was an outlet. So we ended up getting together. Uh, what was it? Jeez. I went to Dick sporting goods and bought like this little $300 half power rack, <laughs> some, uh, barbell and some weights when they, when they were readily available. And, uh, some, the, one of the biggest, and that wasn't even the biggest investment. The biggest investment was the power blocks. And, uh, there, I still, I still use them almost every day. That was probably, that's one of the more original pieces of equipment that I still have the weights. I still have too, obviously, but that was the power blocks were one of the biggest and best buys that I've had to date. Yeah. If you're listening and don't know what a power block is, it's basically adjustable, um, dumbbells. And I, I got them recently. I've had mine for a couple months now and I, I absolutely love them. They've really expanded, obviously what I can do in the gym before I just had like the power rack barbell, some weights, and then, you know, you're limited as far as that goes of, of what you can like expand to. But now just having those, it's, I feel like between the rack and the, and the weights and everything, I, I feel like I can do pretty much anything in my gym that I could do in, or that I needed to do in a 
commercial space. And oddly enough, it's kind of the same thing. Like uh, my wife is pregnant right now with our uh, first child. Oh, and good for you. Look thank at that. you. Appreciate that. But I started building this home gym, like started like two years ago because it was a priority to me. And we were like thinking about having kids and talk about it and knew that it was going to be within the next couple of years. So I was like, I'm going to start now building this home gym and just making sure that I have a place because, you know, I, I value my time and I already commute 45 minutes each way to work. So, you know, driving another 15 minutes to the gym and 15 minutes back, that's a, that's just wasted time that I needed to make up, especially when, you know, my day starts shrinking because there's another human I have to keep alive. <laughs> yeah, that's really what it, that's really what it comes down to. And I found out and, and you'll, you'll find this out too. Um, one of the best things is like, if you have to take care of your child in the middle of your workouts, you can stop, take the 10, 15 minutes and then come right back down to work and, and finish up. I, I can't tell you how many times I've had to do that. Um, and works because I work out in the mornings. Um, it's, it, it's, it's funny because coming from the, the gym environment where you can slam weights and pick stuff <laughs> up and grunt and scream. You can't do that at four 30 in the morning. Cause then you wake everyone up. And, and I've, I've become pretty good at picking heavy things up and quietly placing them back down, <laughs> which is a, that's not easy to do when you come from, you know, throwing nineties around and then just dropping them. So it is something that you learn quick, but uh, like bringing the kids down, like when they get older, that's been really cool to see, uh, especially my son, who's he's five now. And uh, he, he like he's literally grown up with a gym in the house. And so seeing him, you know, randomly say, you know, hold on, I, I can't I, we can't leave yet. I have to do my exercises, even though he doesn't really know what he's doing. <laughs> he's He's understanding the importance of exercise, which is a really cool thing, you know, so getting them started early has been really neat to see. Yeah. And one thing I've heard about parenting and, and is I think the same for leadership as well. It's like more is caught than is taught. And, you know, like you being an example for him, you know, living an active lifestyle, like, especially for someone like me, it, it's very important because like I grew up an overweight kid, been overweight most of my life. And so, the one thing that did happen was me and my dad, even though we didn't diet, we didn't, or our nutrition wasn't good or anything, but we, we started lifting together when I was like a little kid on a weight set in my bedroom. And that's something that's followed with me my entire life. Like even whenever I was a hundred pounds overweight, I was still strong, you know, because I was still lifting. I still enjoyed it. I just didn't follow up on that other part. And then I think that when I did get the nutrition in line, then things happened a lot easier because I had that foundation. So that's one thing that I really hope to do for, uh, for my kid or kids is just, you know, be an example in the way of, uh, living a healthy or an active lifestyle. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it is something that I told other people this too. It's funny because, your, your kids will, your kids will expose the best parts of you and they will expose the worst parts of you. So the, the things that 
like you know are bad habits you'll they will pick up those bad habits they'll <laughs> right. see that and then they'll like they're little they're just many versions of yourself in many ways and so it is something that you have to be much more conscientious because the little ears and little eyes are always always watching and that's been something you know for for my wife and I for us raising our kids it's been something that we've tried to be as conscientious as possible so anytime I get an opportunity for you know just a, a small learning moment or anything to maybe raise awareness or just make a small impact I try to do that but uh, more times than not like you said it's it's going to be it's going to be the things that maybe you don't even recognize you're doing until after the fact you know yeah absolutely and you know kind of switching gears here but i think you and i were both pretty lucky when the, the pandemic hit in the in terms of like already having home gyms already having a place to go like like we talked about it being um an outlet for you know frustration and and just getting uh keeping your mind right kind of a lot of people lost that whenever this pandemic hit and and luckily there's people like you and i that have the home gyms that we can go to and continue that routine. And I'm sure you probably had a couple of people hitting you up like, Hey man, I need to work out. I need to, I need to come over and hit the basement. Yeah. It, it, it's, it was a lifesaver for me. Uh, because I, I mean, I didn't miss a day. Uh, so I, I'd never really felt, I didn't feel the impact that I know a lot of others did. Uh, and it, I mean, it was, I think there's enough evidence that are, that that's been displayed that gyms aren't the problem, but they're being made out to be the scapegoat of the problem. And it's just impacted so many people, both mentally and physically. So having, having that, you know, and, but then seeing too on the supply chain side of the fitness equipment market, you know, within eight weeks, everything was gone, gone. not even four weeks you know? Um, and so, you know, you, you saw every, every equipment manufacturer went from inventory to nothing practically overnight. So it shows you how important weightlifting or just fitness in general is in many, many people's lives. So, uh, it, it's been a blessing for me that I've been able to accumulate over the years and, but that's been, it's been a, it's been a strange, it's been a strange hobby, I guess. Um, you know, it's like you have car guys and then you have like gym equipment guys and then you have hunting guys and grilling guys. Like, it's like everybody has their niche. And so it's, you know, the, the fitness community is, is an interesting niche where, you know, people can, can point out different racks and, and weight styles and it's, it, it, I mean, it's like, it's really incredible, really. And, and how expansive it's, it's come in just a few years, really. It's, it's becoming mainstream in, in a different way, you know, where the, the things that you can customize are just incredible. And even still, there are things that haven't been invented yet that are going to be invented uh, it probably fairly soon, but like just through the quarantine piece, 
you know, I did, I had like three DIY projects and I, I built, I built my lifting platform. I built a reverse hyper. I built, what did I build? My, uh, the seal row power rack attachment. Mm-hmm. And I, I built a belt squad Four things, you know, during the, the quarantine or the lockdown, whatever you want to call it. So, um, just little simple stuff like that. I mean, I saw people building power racks out of, you know, four by four posts of wood, you know? And so it's anything to get the job done, which has been really cool to see the the ingenuity has been really neat. Yeah. That's what I was going to say is people have gotten uh, super creative with what they've had available to them. Like I've seen like four by four posts and buckets that have had concrete poured in them and then just like J hooks on them and they're and people are, squatting with like milk jugs full of water on the ends yeah. of, of a broomstick like yeah. people are doing whatever they have to do to keep uh to keep their gains i mean i i did move my garage or my gym from the basement to the garage and built a, a platform underneath of it and rematted the room and everything so that was that was about the extent of my upgrades but i actually was super super lucky to be able to find um some additional equipment like luckily i had the rack i had the barbell i had the weights um i had like a little uh cable machine type thing i had a bunch of like stations on it but i was able to pick up the uh i was able to pick up the titan reverse hyper uh during that time and so i bought that probably should have built something I, i've seen your seen your design it's pretty good and um also i got the power box in the power box just to just to show like how crazy it is i was on their website every day for like a month and then i was searching all these groups about like when they might be back in looking at reddit like all this stuff and i saw this person comment and they and she I think it was a lady and said, we have them on certain times. And I was like, we, and I clicked on it and I went to her page and she was like the accounts receivable manager for power blocks. <laughs> and so I was, I was like, I'm going to look. She said, and on the exact day that she was like on Tuesday or something, they'll be in. And I was like, on that day, I clicked on there. They were on, I ordered the, the five with, or the five to 50 and then the expansion packs and everything in one, in one swoop. And I was like, thank God I got them. But it was so difficult. Like you had to be to that level to get gym equipment at that yeah. point. Well, I remember that it had to have been maybe May or June. I don't know. Do you remember when Rep Fitness had that like lottery system where no. you had to you had to do something? It was like setting up with an email or you had to click on the website and sign up. And it was like a lottery system to get access to the website to shop. It was like Willy Wonka's golden ticket of some <laughs> sorts because they had such limited stock of equipment. Their website had crashed at one point, I remember, and just from the volume of traffic. So it it, it goes to show you how important it is. And I think, and I, I, had, I had seen Cooper from garage gym reviews talk about it too and i think he's right you're going to see a lot of people convert from the commercial gym to home gym and they're not going back to the commercial gym mm -hmm. i think it's going to be a while for, for some now there's going to be others where it makes the most sense maybe but i think the ones that maybe have families or, or young kids especially 
finding out that you can get more done without going anywhere. Like, like you had mentioned the, the, your time becomes extraordinarily valuable. And when, when you're not driving, even if it's 15 minutes down and back, that's a half an hour just to travel. Then there's another 15 minutes, 20 minutes to change and get ready. And so you're losing over an hour a day just in the minutia of getting there and getting ready. You don't have to do that at home. But I have to say, I do like miss the camaraderie a bit in the gym. Like, like I have some friends to today that I've met in the gym just like over the years, you know, uh, just lifting and, you know, you bump into somebody. Hey, how are you? You see them there every day. And it, I mean, that works both ways. Sometimes you're like, I don't want to talk to anybody. I'm just trying to work out. But then other times, I mean, like you, you meet people, you talk to them and like, you know, it, there's a weird thing. I think I, I watched the uh, documentary on Blockbuster last night and how it's like there's like the very last Blockbuster in the world. But, you know, they said, like, one thing that's brought up is, like, we're losing a lot of things, like, in the world because things go into social or go into online shopping and stuff where you, you're you not out and, like, meeting as many people and, like, sharing in those, like, shared experiences like the gym and, and like, that's how a lot of people meet new people and uh, make friendships and things like that. So, I do, I honestly do miss that a little bit. And I've been doing, uh, since my wife has been pregnant, I did agree to start doing some CrossFit with her. And that has been uh, one of like the more enjoyed things is like every morning seeing the same people talking to them and, and having a little bit of camaraderie. I agree. That was something that was always nice. I mean, I, I was probably, I mean, up until my son was born, I mean, it was, I, I had met quite a few people that, you know, you always had, especially in the morning, you always had your, your morning crew, yeah. like that 5 a.m. crew, especially, they always had to be at work by like 7.30. And so that was a nice thing about training in the morning was it was no BS. It was, it was a, hey, how you doing? And then everybody scattered and got the work in that they needed to get in. And then everybody left, you know? So and then if you needed a spot, it was really easy because, you know, you saw the same people every day. It wasn't just a, you know, a New Year's resolution crew at 5 a.m. You might get a dozen or so and then they trickle out by the end of January. But that uh, that that always was good because you did have a lot of, like you said, the camaraderie and and communication and, and meeting new people. But I don't know. I mean, for me, I guess, because I didn't really spend much time talking. I I guess everybody's different. I just Mm -hmm. didn't spend much time talking because I always knew I was on a, I was on a time frame, So I had certain amount of time to get everything in that I needed to get in. So being at home, it's just been, it's just been easy. I mean, I've always lifted by myself anyway, so I've never really had a training partner. So for me, the the transition to lifting at home really wasn't that difficult. Uh, I guess the nice thing was that you never had to wait for a machine. 
<laughs> you yeah, never, yeah. you know, you never, nobody's <laughs> curling in the squat rack. Right. And you can squirrel. Like, that's the great thing. If you want to curl in your squat rack, you can curl in your squat rack. <laughs> yeah, you know? right. Nobody, I whatever I want in my squat rack. <laughs> that's, that's right. No one will <laughs> tell you different. So that's been, that's been, I would say, the, the biggest benefit of it all is you don't wait for anybody. It's not like you're having to wipe down a dirty bench. You know, the the people that are using it, it's you and maybe your wife, you know, like that's it. So the the again, even the amount of time, like what happens if all the squat racks are taken and it's leg day, you know, now yep. now it's like now you're stuck. You know, now you're off doing something else. And so then the that's been for me is one of the biggest things when I converted over was like, I freed up 15 minutes right there of just the various times of waiting for people to get done with stuff. And if you're trying to superset, you know, you get into a groove, you leave a machine, you do your first set of supersets and then you come over and there's, you know, some 75 year old guy doing, <laughs> you know, tricep push down, struggling away at, 30 pounds like what are you going to do kick them off no <laughs> you know now you just kind of wait and find something else if you can or just continue on and so for me having the freedom for you know to do things the way i want to do them when i want to do them and how that that supersedes everything else to me so how long have you been in the in the strength training game Well, I mean, I've been, I've been lifting since my days of high school football. So that's almost 20 years now, more that's than what, 20, actually more than 20 years. That's what gets a lot of people hooked, right? Yeah. I mean, now the interesting thing, when I started training, it, it was always just a means to an end for me because it was the, it was a necessary evil. You know, and that was there still wasn't a whole lot of education, you know, like weightlifting and the importance of it, even in that was 2000, 2001, 2002, it I don't feel that it was viewed as as important as it is today, especially at the high school level. You know, now we still, I mean, we trained and we trained hard um, in high school, man. I mean, even during the season, we would lift four days out of the five and Fridays, which were game days, we didn't lift, but we would lift Monday through Thursday, you know? And so that kept us strong, but I, I enjoyed it to an extent where I enjoyed it when I was done, <laughs> you know, and, yep. and even when I got to, even when I got to college, you know, I, I still really enjoyed it. I, I actually loved the days we would squat. I was a good squatter, uh, not a good venture, still not a good venture. If anyone's been following along recently, I mean, my bench sucks. So it's getting help from my buddy, John turn right now. And so I'm really dialing things back, but you know, I suffered a shoulder injury in college. So that's, that's never going away. Mm -hmm. But once I got done playing, 
that's really where I fell in love with it and started to understand a little bit more how the body worked. But I also didn't want to be 300 pounds anymore. And so to like what you had mentioned earlier, Michael, with being strong, but once you started to figure out the nutrition side of things a little bit more, because I, I, like anybody else, I mean, the name of your podcast is just freaking genius. Um, <laughs> uh, I mean, it's such a such a great play on words, but also at the same time, the the, the leadership aspect uh, behind it. But you know, I, I have my own tendencies, my my fat kid tendencies, what I call them, my FKTs. So that that mentality in many ways doesn't leave because playing on the offensive line in high school and college you didn't really have to worry about weight because you always knew you were going to steadily stay, stay there. So you could go to a fast food joint and stuff your face because you knew that you were going to run your ass off later on that day, or you already did. And mm -hmm. so you, there was always a pretty easy equilibrium there. Now, once you're done playing football though, well, how are you going to stay in shape? And so my greatest fear was always, because offense alignment, it's, it's a funny thing. Like there's, you've got, you've got two directions you can go, you know? And so some guys, when they're done playing offense alignment, they just stop everything and then they blimp up to like three thirty, three seventy, four hundred plus, you know? Mm -hmm. And then you have the other guys that are like, they drop significant amounts of weight. And so that was something that, I did not want to blimp up. I was terrified of that. So I started training heavily, heavily, heavily. I would get up at, I would get up in the morning and I would do cardio for 45 minutes. I would go to the gym and do that. And I would then go, I, I would do the rest of the things during the day that I needed to do. Then I'd go back at night and I'd train, I'd lift and I'd lift for like two hours. And this is all just, me trying to figure it out. And I did that for about seven months. So when I was done playing, I was 321, 22 at my heaviest. Mm -hmm. And my goal was to be about 230 by Christmas of that year. So on Christmas Eve of that year, seven months later, I was at 232. Wow. So I dropped about 90 pounds in seven months. So, I mean, it was drastic too. I mean, there was now the problem for me is that wasn't necessarily sustainable uh, because I was really, I mean, number one, I was eating like 17, 1800 calories a day, which for somebody of my size is like nothing. Um, but it was more about the fact that I learned a lot about how far you could actually push yourself, you know, and that was, that was a big learning point for me where if, if you set a goal and are hell bound and determined to achieve it, I mean, it's something that you can really do. So for the next, I don't know, five, six, seven years or so, my weight maintained a little bit between you know, like 240, 260. So it's been pretty much that way since, geez, for about 11, 12 years now. So I had lost a lot of my strength and, and over the last 12 to 18 months, I've, I've 
been interested to see how, how much I can push myself to get back to being strong again. So that was, that's been my current goal right now is, is to try to put on some, a little bit more muscle size. And, and so I'm working like that high volume stuff right now, which just is absolutely brutal because I'm so not used to that, <laughs> but it's, it is, I mean, it's something that has been, especially when you're done, when you're done playing a sport, there's a lot of people that, you know, for, for a long, the longest time, like that playing that sport that gives you purpose. Right. And so, yeah, absolutely. uh, and even when I was at college, I mean, there's a lot of people that fool themselves. Everybody thinks you're going to the league. You ain't going to the league. Like the chances of that are very, 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 very slim. But discovering then what you can do when you're done. Uh, I think for me, I got lucky in that, that I enjoyed lifting and weightlifting so much because it's, at the end of the day, it's, it's, it's you versus you anyways. Right. I mean, and so it's, it's an easy way to keep yourself accountable. So for me, it was, I was able to do that. So one thing that you talked about was losing that 90 pounds in seven months, which like for reference it, it, to, for me, it was a hundred. It took me like 17 months. So, you know, quite a long time. And you said that, that wasn't really sustainable when you were at that 1700 calories a day. So what did you do? What did you do to make that sustainable? Because what happens to a lot of people is they get there, they've cut their calories, cut, 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 cut. And then they get to that 1700 calories and they're like, Oh, I don't know what to do. They start eating normally again. And then they're 400 pounds, you know, they're way uh -huh. more than they were. So what kind of changes did you make to, to bring that to a sustainable level? Well, and that's, that was one of the biggest things was how do you prevent it? Because that happens all the time. You know, people lose that weight and then they boomerang back. And not only do they boomerang back, it's one and a half or two times what they originally weighed. So it, it was a couple of things. Number one, it was a mindset for me. Um, now, the interesting thing is like, so my body is shaped a little bit differently. Like I lost almost a hundred pounds and almost, and only dropped two pant sizes hmm. Two, you know? So for like, I've got wide hips, naturally wide hips. I, I jokingly say I have childbearing hips, you know? <laughs> uh, so it's, it's uh, maybe that's why I had a good squat at, at times. I don't know. Uh, but so that was something that I found really interesting because usually people will say, well, I dropped, you know, six pain. You lose a hundred pounds. Like you're going to drop a significant amount in terms of clothing. And, and here I was only two pants sizes down, but it was clearly evident that I had lost a ton of weight, you know, mm -hmm. but it was also to the point too, when my girlfriend, who's now my wife, um, she even said, she's like, you look, you look sick where I had actually lost so much weight. There were people who were saying like, is, is he okay? Like, is Sean okay? You know, where it's like, no, I don't have a disease. I just lost a ton of weight. <laughs> um, and, and so as I started to put a little bit of the weight back on the, uh, the one thing that I found was 
especially in the the transition right from the beginning to the end of that massive weight loss was getting rid of the foods that you know are not good for you and that was something for me and i and i i see it all the time even at home now and it's a harder it's even it's even more difficult now with kids because with kids you you keep chips ice cream all the crap that i avoided you know is now back in the house and so it, it becomes that much more difficult you'll soon find that out um but when i when i had done all of that it was easy you you don't allow it in your life you eliminate it now that doesn't mean that you just don't ever enjoy it ever again but you know you don't buy the chips you don't buy the ice cream you don't buy the you know the fruit snacks and all the other stuff you you just you don't need it and you focus on the stuff that works so that i would say that was probably the first thing um and I practically read cover to cover the Encyclopedia of Modern Bodybuilding from Arnold Schwarzenegger. That was really like, you should see it. it I, the binding is actually torn off of it. I had to tape it all back together because I used it so much. And so I was looking at the diet plans, the exercise plans, the the technique, like everything. Everything that I could pull out of that, I did. Uh, and that was really the foundation for how I got started on things. Um, so it, I, I would probably say that the best way to keep it sustainable is to keep the foods in your house that, you know, work. And if you're, if you're going to treat yourself, which I, I don't think there's a problem with that because I mean, let's be honest, what percentage of the population is bodybuilding you know, and, and it, it's an unfortunate thing, too, that uh, that is the, I guess that's the stigma where, you know, we all see that the six pack abs and the, the people with, you know, who always look like a perfect 10 when the reality is that's, that's probably just not the way it's going to be. I mean, the amount of prep time and the amount of work uh, that you have to put in, it's a mental, what's the word? Not even struggle. It's like a mental death march because you just, it's, it's not about being strong. When you get to those competitions, it's about looking strong. And, you know, so like the things that you have to do to put your body through, like, I mean, there's real dedication and commitment there. So it takes a lot to look like that all the time. So it is something that I think many times people probably get a negative perception of themselves, I would say, you know, I mean, I do that yeah. too. I, you know, I think anybody does, especially, you know, because like yourself, like I was always the fat kid too. You know, I was always the kid who was bigger than everybody else. So it ended up benefiting me, especially in football, but it was always one of those things. And I think that was part of it too, was I didn't want to be the big kid anymore, you know? Mm -hmm. So I think people, the people who are on that weight loss journey, that's one of the biggest, the biggest things, you know? And so after I lost all of my weight, 
uh, I mean, it's, it's taken me 10 years to, to really get comfortable with trying to get strong again for the longest time. It was just maintaining, just maintaining my strength. And, uh, I think part of the problem went there. It was, there were times where I was just like half-assing it, you know, just going through the motions. So now there's a little bit more of a purpose behind that. So finding a purpose behind not only the nutrition, but the, the training, whether that's lifting all the time or running all the time, mm -hmm. you know, I, I think, who is it? Stan efforting who, who says it best, the best diet that you can be on is the one that you stick to. Like yeah. that's, that's perfect advice. Like that is the best advice. So if that means it's steak for lunch and maybe a little bit of ice cream at night, but that's what keeps you sane and keeps you committed, then maybe you do that. That doesn't mean, you know, you eat a half a gallon of ice cream at night, maybe a bowl, you know, or a small cup, something like that. I don't know. Yeah. I think Stan also says like compliance is the science. Yes. Right? Yep. Yeah. Compliance is science. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, I try to follow that and, you know, I, I right now, now that I'm, I just did like a, a cutting phase for 12 weeks and now, um, I'm, I'm really just trying to maintain and build those calories back up as high as I can get them like somewhat like reverse dieting, adding a couple hundred in every, every couple weeks. And, now that I got a little bit, a couple more fat macros back and some carbs, I've been back on a loose version of his um, vertical diet, right? Mm -hmm. And while like I don't follow it exactly, I have a plan that I've laid out that's pretty dang close and it works for me. And I try to stay compliant on that. And I, I use an app where basically it prompts me at each meal and is like, did basically, are you around, like was the meal uh, right. You know, like for what I'd planned and I hit yes or no. And I, tr and that just gives me a like quantifiable, like data point that I use. And it's like, it's literally like the 80, 20 rule that people talk about all the time. Like I'm more like, I'm trying to stay lean. So I'm like, I'm trying to be 90 plus percent correct or you know like 90 plus percent on point and just that constant compliance with my own plan it doesn't have to be some big elaborate thing and maybe that plan is that you do have a uh, one cup of ice cream every night but as long as you follow that and then you know for me if i have if that cup turned into two two cups i would be hitting no and i'm not on plan you know so that's just like what works for me and i think that's you know the best thing that you said is like you know find the foods that might be bad for you and the foods that are bad for you are bad for you might not be bad for me. Like it's, it's not good and bad foods. It's what you can handle and what you can't, what you have self-control with and what you don't. And so I think that whole overall philosophy is very sustainable going back, you know, to the original thing is like, I can't beat a dead horse enough, but like what works for you is what works. Just like Stan says. Yeah, it, it really is. I, and finding out too, I think what you can do in the gym and then segueing, segueing that into the kitchen, you know, that's important too, because probably there's a lot of people that like finding the right calculation of what you really need is probably the hardest. Like that's something that I still struggle with too, you know, 
finding the right combination. And that's like, like when I, when I had lost all of my weight, it was the way I did it was I started with a base number on like Monday, for example, and then I would cut it by a hundred calories every day for six days. And then on the seventh day, I would have like my cheat day where it was like no holds bar, anything went. And I did. And, and so it was, it was as strict for six days. And then it was like, open the floodgates on the seventh day. And so then every Monday when I would weigh myself, I was still making a net loss, even after all of that. Well, and it, and it was, by God, it was consistent for seven months, you know, because it, you know, if I was at, let's say 3000 calories on Monday, and then I would lower them all by a hundred. And then that Sunday I would have my cheat day. Well, then that following Monday, I would drop another hundred. So I went from 3000 the first week. Now I'm down to 2,900 the next uh. Okay. And then I continued to drop a hundred and hundred and hundred. That's and interesting. That. I've never heard anyone do it that way. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's not something I don't know if I would recommend. I don't even know if I would do that again. It, it, I mean, it really was the ultimate amount of discipline. Now I was living by myself, so I didn't have anybody, you know, it, but it worked, you know, it was just like we talked about the compliance is the science and, it was working, you know, now I lost shitload strength. Uh, but I wasn't concerned with that at the time. It was like, how much weight can I get off <laughs> in as fast as possible? <laughs> yeah. So, and, but it was something that I was consistently tracking, you know, and I kept the protein the same, but it was, it was all carbs and fat, but that's where at the end I was at such a, like I was down to 25 grams of carbs, I think maybe less, and the fat content, I can't even remember. It was so low too. So by the end, it was like plain chicken breasts. That was just, you know, it was, it tasted like I was eating paint, you know, it was just dry because I couldn't cook either. And so it was always overcooked. Uh, so it just, it became so monotonous, but it, it did, it worked. It worked. Um, the fact that I hit the goal, I proved that, but it, like I said, also it wasn't sustainable. Then I had to figure that was the next part to figure out how to keep it sustainable. I, I think about it sometimes like, uh, you know, there's those fighters that are just like too tough that they just keep getting beat up and beat up. And like, essentially they'll get beat to death because they won't throw in the towel. Like they won't give up. They won't go down. And it's like, if you're willing to, work hard enough stay disciplined enough be compliant enough like you can will your way to lose 100 pounds like in like recklessly easy not sure. saying that's what you did but like i'm just saying that is like possible and if you're willing to train your ass off like you can train yourself you can work hard enough to train yourself until your body breaks like and that's in the combination of the two is something that I'm really right now like coming to grips with and fighting with because I just came off this 12-week cut and cut my calories and I was training CrossFit in the morning and jujitsu at night four or five days a week to the point where like 
I was just like hurt all the time. My, mm-hmm. my lats, my lats messed up. My back's best, best messed up. My arms hurt. And it's just like, you know, at what point am I going to hit some like diminishing returns here? Like at what yeah. point am I at a certain point wasting my time? And that's one of those things. It's like, you don't get there unless you're putting in like an extreme amount of work. But I mean, it sounds exactly like that's what you were willing to do with your diet. Diet was just go as far as you needed to go to hit that goal. I I would say so. Yeah. It, the training was the other thing too, because that was, that was really the motivating factor of it. I think I, I train six days a week and I still do. And the, the amount of time that I miss a day is very small. It's probably been two years since I've missed a day, maybe more, but, um, that has always been a, a big thing for me. Now for one thing that I, I battle a lot is you know, part of the vertical diet, right? Which I'm sure you've seen is the importance of sleep mm-hmm. yep. and, and how critical that is to actually keeping the weight off. And there's enough studies out there that show the less sleep you get, the easier the weight will be to gain and the harder it is to, to keep the weight off. And so with young kids sleep, uh, not getting it even now. Um, you know, I, I wake up at four o'clock in the morning, so it's four, five, six hours, depending on which kid is screaming. And my oldest, he's a good sleeper now, but, uh, my daughter, she's two and a half. She still has her nights that struggle. So, you know, for more or less, it's been the better part of seven and a half years (laughs) where sleep has come and gone, you know? So it's, that has been a huge factor uh, uh, of trying because, now people might say, well, why don't you train at night? Can't do it. It's like once you, and I think that's part of what football has done too, because we always train in the morning. And so once you train in the morning to know that you've done more than most people have by seven o'clock, yeah. it's a very cool feeling and you get a real sense of accomplishment, you know? So it, I couldn't see myself if I, if I had to start training in the evening, I probably would. I I don't know if I could because I'm just beat by the end of the day. Yeah. It is an awesome feeling that like you've already been up, you're, you've got it done. You're feeling accomplished. Cause like, that's what I'll do is I'll get up at at four o'clock, spend 30 minutes, like working on uh, my mobility and uh, just, you know, some core exercises and things like that. And then, or have some breakfast along through there too, and then get to the gym at five for CrossFit and just kind of ready to go. Whenever I'm at home in my own gym, the, the workout starts more like 415, 420. But, um, you know, like you're saying is it just feels good to, to have it over with. You feel, you know, most people get to their death. Like I, I get to work at seven and most people get there and they're kind of like, eyes uh, half awake and, and they're, you know, just like struggling to get started. And I'm on the opposite end of that spectrum. Like I'm running at full speed. Now that doesn't mean at like three 30, I might not be like kind of dragging ass, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, I'm catching it up on the, on the beginning of the day. And, um, 
it's just a great feeling like you're saying yeah but man one thing that i definitely want to talk to you about is uh like your brand the morning the morning lifter you got the website it's awesome i was i've been on there like reading some of your articles um you got like training programs on there for weeks and weeks or months and months and months all kinds of different training programs on there tell tell the listeners a little about that and how you got started and your podcast the whole nine yards it was really a conception out of time. So when I was done coaching football, there was, you know, it, it's funny when, when something takes up so much of your time and you realize you don't have time for anything else. And then when that one thing goes away, then all of a sudden you're kind of stuck and you don't know what to do with yourself. So that was back in 2018. I was kind of thinking I had always kind of had this idea of wanting to write about stuff. And it was real broad and I hadn't really narrowed it down. And so that summer when I was done coaching, I had, it, it kind of came to me where, Hey, you know, I've been lifting for a long time. I've got a fairly decent gym established at that point. It's like, well, then maybe I'll talk about that and, and combine it with a lot of my leadership perspectives and experiences that I could also utilize from coaching. So I did a few searches and I thought about the name. I thought about, well, let's see, I lift weights and I get up early in the morning. Well, what about morning lifter? And the domain was open. So I bought the domain and, and started writing and, and I wrote and I wrote and I wrote, um, for a long time. And, uh, so I, I would, I would publish an article probably every two weeks when I first started and just like anything else, you know, it, it didn't gain much traction. It was pretty slow, just like anything, you know, when you first start out, mm -hmm. but I was consistent and I was persistent and I, I just stayed the course and continued to write articles. And I wrote and I wrote and I wrote and I wrote. So still every, every roughly two weeks, I'd publish an article, publish an article, publish an article. And then the summer of 19, um, I went on a, on a writing craze. Uh, I probably, I probably put up, I don't know, 40 or 50 articles that I had written and some of them I still haven't published. I have probably 75 or 80 articles that I still haven't published. Wow. Um, and to date, I think I'm at 215 ish at this point in time. And, uh, and so I, I decided to get on Instagram and Facebook and I had been off the grid. Um, like I got off of all social media. That was what the cheese 2012, I think. So I was off the grid for a long time and loved it uh, because nobody knew what you were up to. Yeah. And so my wife would always get, you know, inquiring questions from some of my friends who were like, Hey, is Sean still alive? You know, what's he doing? <laughs> you know, you know? And she'd be like, Oh, well, he doesn't have Facebook or this or that. And, and it was nice. I actually enjoyed it. 
Um, and uh, so I, I, when I came back, I decided that I was going to come back with a different mindset. And so I was very particular about who I let in. And I was very particular about what I view. So because as anybody probably knows, number one, social media is incredibly addicting. And number two, it's incredibly negative. It's, it's a lot easier to find negative stuff than it is positive. So that was something that I really paid attention to. And one of the reasons why I enjoy talking about leadership so much. Um, I, I mean, I could, I could talk about stuff just all day long. So one of the things that really got me into especially the leadership side of things. Um, a lot of people, for example, will listen to music or, you know, they'll rap or rock or, you know, whatever. Um, music wasn't doing it for me anymore. For whatever reason, I just wasn't motivated. And a, a friend of mine uh, started suggesting uh He's like, well, why don't, you know, you could, you could listen to some John Maxwell stuff. And so I put on John Maxwell and he was talking about leadership and it was on the 21 laws of leadership. And I would just turn it on YouTube. And the incredible thing about that, that has really led me to some really cool things. So it took me from John Maxwell to Miles Monroe to Jim Rohn, to Simon Sinek, to Jordan Peterson, to Les Brown, to Ed Milet, to Tony Robbins, you know, I mean, the list just goes on and on, you know, and so I went down this rabbit hole where I started hearing these ideas while I was training and it just, I was fascinated and I retained the information too. So it was really incredible. So not only was I training my body physically, but I was blasting my mind with theories and ideas related to leadership and how to live a successful life at the same time. It was incredible. And it, it has changed the way, not only that I view life, changed the way I view people, it's changed the way that I live my own life. Uh, and it is funny because if somebody if somebody were to ever, you know, if you were a, a fly on the wall in here at a 5 a.m. session and I was maxing out on deadlifts, for example, the chances of you hearing a Jim Rohn speech in the background would be pretty high, <laughs> you know, and it's like you might say, well, how the hell can you get motivated to do something like that? And I think what's what's been really neat about it is it's, it, it actually takes your mind off of when you're training your mind at the same time, it takes your mind off the weight and it yeah. becomes automatic. You just lift the weight and then that's it. You know, sometimes you get it, sometimes you don't, but when you're training two things at once like that, it's, it's become a really fascinating thing. So, uh, I mean, I've really enjoyed that. So that's kind of one of the areas where things really took off. Now, I knew as well, like the leadership side of things, people were not going to be real interested in, and that's okay. Um, but I still do it anyways, and I still write about it. So 
the the fitness articles for obvious reasons get more feedback than the other ones but i have more of a passion in writing about the leadership ones than i do about the fitness ones because everybody writes about the fitness stuff i mean yeah you know it's not to me it's not that you can find that stuff anywhere but the leadership stuff there's so many people that i feel could hear it and haven't you know the the you could get a phd on youtube like it's not hard the number of college courses that are available online is incredible so it and and so that's that's one thing that i've been trying to take advantage of and and just trying to spread the ideas of how how the things that you do in the gym translate how you live your life in a very not only metaphorical way, but in a literal way at the same time. So that was one of the things that I've been trying to connect the dots with, you know, I've been trying to tie those two together to show that, you know, well, why did you miss that lift? Well, is it because you weren't doing the things that you were supposed to be doing yesterday? I mean, one of my favorite lines from Jordan Peterson, and he quoted it from, I I can't remember who, um, uh, but the, the line goes something like this, and I'm paraphrasing, but the thing that you most want to find will be found in the place you least want to go. And I found that, like, I heard that, and I was like, holy shit. Like, that's just <laughs> incredible. Like, and the, like, you couldn't say it any, any more perfectly. And it, and it is so true, you know, like, so use it as a fitness analogy. You want to lift, you want to lift a lot of weight. Well, then you got to go to places you don't want to go. Like you've got to go for the 10 reps with the 80, 85% and you've got to go all the way, you know, to the point of failure. And just most people aren't willing to do that. Well, that's the whole, that's the whole reason behind it, you know, but the thing that you most want you have to go to those places that you least want to go. And that's usually the place of pain and suffering and an ass beating, you know, and that's, so that's one of the things that, that really came out to me through the whole morning lifting lifter series. Um, and through the continuous writing, um, a buddy of mine, uh, Bryce Betts, he convinced me, he's like, Hey, we should start doing a podcast. And, I wasn't sure about it. Like I, I, I thought I was like, no, like that's, that's not me. And he convinced me to do it. And I'm glad that he did. Um, and, uh, we haven't been able to get together. He's, he, he's real busy right now, but, uh, I continued it through the summer during COVID. Um, and I just kind of branched off and, and called it the strength and leadership podcast. And so that's where I just, started finding people that I've been following on social media and just out of the blue, like, Hey, sounds like you got a pretty cool story. Let's talk about it. And, uh, I mean, I've had some, I've, I've had an opportunity to talk to some pretty cool people. So it, that's been really neat. You know, that's been really fun. And, and so that was kind of just, a out of the blue thing to, to kind of do. So, when I have the time, I, I try to schedule one in. I haven't had one for a couple of weeks, but um, 
you're actually the first I've had in a while. So it is something that um, is nice to have because you do, you make connections with people. And, and I think that's like, that's the other thing, like, okay, so maybe you lift at home and, and you don't have that camaraderie through the, through the gym anymore. Mm-hmm. But in many, in many ways, social media has kind of made the home gym community a giant commercial gym. It's just that everybody has their own little pod in many ways, you know, and, and, and so it's, it's allowed for things like this, you know, that we're doing right now, uh, where you're finding people who have the same commonalities. So that's, that's been something that I've just been consistent with. And I told myself, okay, I'm going to do two posts a day and I'm going to, everything that I do within the morning lifter I guess theme. I don't know. I, I wouldn't call it a brand. I <laughs> I don't think it's big enough to be to be considered a brand. But um, because I care about strength and leadership, I mean, the, yeah. The, I even I even developed a vision. You know, the vision of it is to empower, inspire, and educate individuals through strength and leadership. Like that's the entire goal of what I'm trying to do. And so I'll do two posts a day. First is in the morning. It's all about strength, which is so I always post my lifts of the day. And then the afternoon, evening-ish, I'll have some type of quote that maybe can help somebody. And so that's what I've done. And uh, people seem to like it. <laughs> so it's it's just been, it's been a consistent thing. And it's been really neat to see to this point. Um, and, and so... It, I ultimately I, I do what I, I do what I do. And if people like it and they want to tag along for the ride, great. If it's not for them, that's okay too. Yeah. So let everybody know where they can find you on social media. So we talked about a little bit, the morning lifter on Instagram. So where else? Yeah. So the social handles. So it's just at morning lifter, um, Facebook, it's just morning lifter as well. I used to be on Twitter. Twitter's a cesspool. So I got off of Twitter. <laughs> um, and I have a, a YouTube channel as well, morning lifter. And um, I, I'd i like to do more videos, like with some setups and things like that. But it's, it's about damn near impossible to try to get one of those organized, especially <laughs> with two little kids running around the chances of them coming down and interrupting pretty high. (laughs) high, So it, it does, it, it makes that difficult, but usually YouTube has been more for like the motivational side of things. And so I'll cut up some videos and, and do things like that. And it it seemed to have gotten some pretty good feedback. So um, morninglifter.com, that's the website. So you can go and, and Google it. I've got a lot of equipment reviews on there and, lot of leadership articles so i'm publishing two articles a week right now Uh, i've been running a pretty solid monday motivation series um, which are just short little like two paragraph pump ups for a monday Uh, and then i i'll publish uh, another like capstone article on thursdays so that's that's where i'm at 
Awesome, man. Well, last question that I try to ask everybody is uh, if you have one simple tip that people could implement in their uh, in their journey, whether that be a journey to strength or to weight loss or just to self-improvement in general, what would that tip be? I would say be consistently persistent. That, that's probably the, the best thing because when, when you do that, eventually good things happen. Yeah, absolutely. I think that is uh, great advice. But Sean, thank you again for being on the show, man. I, I've really enjoyed our conversation and I'm, I'm happy we can make this work. Yeah, thank you, Michael. I appreciate you having me on. Absolutely. All right, guys, that is the end of the Hungry for Success podcast for this week. Thank you for tuning in. Make sure you hit that like, subscribe button, and uh, leave a review on your uh, podcast app. Uh, I kind of went blank there for a second. But thanks, guys. Appreciate it. We will see you next week with a new guest, and stay hungry.